I needed that this morning, amen? Amen. To be reminded that there is a fountain, but this is no trickling fountain. This is a king who sits on his throne. I don't know about you, but I have looked forward to today all week long. Kind of had a bad week, and so... I needed to I needed to be in church I needed to be able to sing and so it is it is that coming together and singing that just rejoices my heart and so I so I was told this morning that today is national complimentary day so let me compliment you FBC you are a joy to me You are a joy. And Brother Bill, your prayer this morning, brother, it was beautiful. And and he put some thought into that. And so it is those types of things, beloved, that when we gather in this place, we are building one another up and helping pastors who have bad days. Right? We have bad weeks, and we just say, okay, if I can just get to Sunday. If I can just get to Sunday. Amen? All right, maybe you don't feel the same way I do, but I, I love, this is what I look forward to, because it is good. So take your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we will finish out this chapter this morning. We are looking at a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to confront and to correct problems uh, that were happening there at the, at the church of Corinth, and in this letter it becomes very helpful for you and I this morning it is a helpful letter for you and I because Paul is confronting sin he's laying out doctrine he's giving solutions to uh to to their problems you know which allows us to examine ourselves and we find solutions for our own present day things um he's exhorting them to righteousness we're encouraged to be righteous he's he's giving them correction so it helps us to correct things in our own church this is a, a wonderful letter for the church of today. Now, but, but the problem sometimes is, is that sometimes because there's a lot of correction, and you and I know this to be true even within our own lives, that because of, of correction can sometimes have a harsh tone in it, we need to remind one another that what we are doing and why we are correcting you know, is because we love the individual. We do the same with our children. We tell our children, we tell them that we love them and that we're fixing to you know, whip them because we love them. They may not understand it, but we tell them they can't have something. It's not for their good, right? As parents, we do those hard things, but we let them know we're doing this because we love you. Paul does that in these verses that we're going to look at. The Apostle Paul, after a a really hard and difficult few chapters, especially chapter 4, what we've seen over the last few weeks, the Apostle is going to come in now and he's going to explain why he's, why he's admonishing them, why he's warning them, why he's disciplining them. And he says within the text that he is their spiritual father. And so today, in the scriptures that we're going to read, God is revealing to us, FBC, the necessity and the importance of spiritual fathers. Spiritual fathers within the church. And so I want to do two things this morning. I want to define what I mean by spiritual father. But then I want to lay out some characteristics of spiritual fathers for you. 
So if you will, look with me here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. And we read, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. And therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. For this reason, I have sent to, to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. And he will remind you of my ways, which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. And now some have become arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. What do you desire? Shall I come to you with, with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? And may God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. In today's culture, beloved, definitions matter. I don't know if you've noticed this, but we are living in an age where we're really, it seems that a lot of the arguments that we are having, we're, we're all arguing and, and we can't seem to find a solution. We can't seem to really find an agreement. And it is because that there is no definition there at the beginning to lay out the terms. And so I think understanding what Paul is saying here is very important to us. So when we say father and especially spiritual father, what do we mean? How is it defined? Well, a father is a man who has children. Plain and simple. If you don't have children, you're, you're not a father. He could have been an agent or an instrument in those children. They could be his children by blood. He could have been an instrument in the creation of those children with his, with his wife. Or he could have legally adopted those children. <coughs> and so they become his legally. Either way, a father is one who has children but it goes much deeper than that the man who who this man will carry a deep affection or he should carry a deep affection for these individuals if he does not carry a deep affection then he's not a very good father in all of his relationships these people these children of his they will have a special place within his heart more than anyone else they will have a this will create within him a responsibility to care for, to protect, to strengthen them. And even Jesus said that a, a father would not give his children a serpent or a scorpion that when they ask for food. So likewise, earthly fathers, physical fathers, will seek the good for their children. And so according to the text this morning, Paul considers himself to be the spiritual father of the Christians at Corinth. He says you have many tutors, you have many guardians. In other words, that you have many people within the church or even out of the church who are giving you advice and who are helping you along the way. But at the end of the day, Corinth, you need to know that it is I who is your spiritual father. This does not mean that he takes credit for their salvation. It does not mean that their salvation is, is beget because of, of Paul, that, that sometimes, that somehow they, that he deserves praise for their salvation. No, he knows that it is God who saves people, but God uses people as the instrument to bring forth them, to bring them into faith. And so Paul's ministry has allowed him to be a part of this, has allowed him to be the instrument in many people in many different places across the globe to come into faith. For example, you read in the book of Galatians, he calls them his children. Timothy is his true child in the faith, is what he says. And then you have Titus. He says Titus is a true child in common faith. 
And then you even have Onesimus, who is this runaway slave, who he writes to the, to the guy who, who owned Onesimus, and he tells him, he says, he is a child whom he had begotten in his imprisonment. He is my child. He is a child in the faith as well, just like Titus, just like Timothy, just like the, uh, the, the Christians at, at, in uh, Galatia. He says, they are my children. And so now Paul will focus his attention on his children at Corinth. Because everywhere Paul goes in his ministry, we see that, he, that people are coming to know Christ. And Paul doesn't just leave it that way, he's also overseeing them. Being a father is more than just being the instrument of their creation. We know this. A father is more than just the fact that you just help bring a child into the world. A father is one who takes responsibility for that child in their overall development. And we see the same for the spiritual fathers. Timothy, for example, in the same way that, that Paul led Timothy to the Lord... Paul also is taking Timothy and he is discipling him. He's helping him to mature in the faith. In the same way that salvation involves sanctification as well as regeneration. So a spiritual father seeks not only spiritual birth. It's not just evangelism. It's not just get them saved and get them in the church and then I'm done. No, it is also spiritual growth. And so that's what we're reading this morning. We've already seen that Paul has said that he believes them to be Christians. But he is looking to them and he is saying that as your spiritual father, I care about your sanctification. I care about your spiritual growth. I care about your relationship with Christ. I care about that faith family. And so here, like all good fathers, Paul feels this overwhelming responsibility and he begins to seek the good for the Corinthians So how do we define spiritual fathers? They are individuals who care for and guide the spiritual development of others. They're individuals who who care for and guide the spiritual development for others. They, They evangelize them and lead them into the faith. They then disciple them and then help them along the way in all kinds of spiritual matters. And so for application purposes, let me say this. Two things this morning. Number one, you need to know that pastors are spiritual fathers. Paul, uh, Paul is connecting this, beloved, to everything that we've seen in the last two chapters, in chapter 3 and in chapter 4. There's no doubt in my mind that Paul means to connect this metaphor to the previous ones that he's given to us. And so if you remember, Paul said that the church is like, is like a farm, and pastors are farmers who are working the farm. They were like builders, and there's a construction. We saw last, uh, in, in the earlier, in a few weeks ago, there in chapter 4, he says that pastors are servants. We're galley slaves, chained to the oars, and we're rowing the ship. But we're also stewards who oversee the estate. And so now we find that Paul also says that pastors are like fathers. Whether the pastor comes into the church and plants the church, or whether he leads them to to faith, or whether he comes in and follows another pastor and legally adopts them as his own, he becomes their spiritual father, taking upon himself the responsibility in in leading them in their spiritual growth. Beloved, this is the type of pastors we need in pulpits. Too many times today what we have is that we have these CEO types. We have the dictator types. 
And now we're moving into this new thing of the social justice warrior where pastors are more about social justice and things like that. But yet, hear me on this, and this is something I think is very important, is that we understand that that fathers don't just seek justice, but they also seek what? But mercy as well. They seek mercy and grace and forgiveness within their children. And so we don't just need CEO types, and we don't just need social justice warriors within the pulpit. We don't need political pundits in the pulpit, nor do we need pastors who are lazy and, and, and uh, you know, kind of passive in everything. That just, you just, you children just go out and do what you want, and, and I'm, I'll be over here and I'll just fill the pulpit. No, we need pastors who are like fathers who look out upon the congregation and see the men and the women within the church as their own responsibility as someone that they care for. And so through the preaching ministry and through the pastoral care, they are seeking to engage them and begin to help them to grow in their walk with Christ, just like a father would a child of his own. He's feeding them, he's nourishing them, he's loving them, he's forgiving them, he's he's teaching them and all these different things. At the end of the day, we are in need of fathers within the pulpit. But secondly, we also need spiritual fathers, and I believe it is totally okay to say this, spiritual mothers as well within the congregation. Beloved, it is important for pastors to be spiritual fathers and leading, but we must be realistic in understanding that the pastor and even the pastor's wife is not able to oversee all things within the church. That they themselves do not have enough time to teach every person, to do every ministry, to fulfill every need within the local body, to visit every person in the hospital, to visit every person who is sick, to visit every person who is struggling and walking through things. There's, there's just simply not enough time for them to do that. And so the Bible is very clear that we are given within the church, the congregation itself, that we ourselves are called to be spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers to one another. We are in need of lay men and women who seek to both help lead people to salvation, but not only that, help to walk with others in their sanctification as well. Let, let me read this to you. I think this is really good. I think Titus is a book that, that sometimes we tend to overlook. We, Timothy is a wonderful book in, in helping us understanding mentoring as we see Paul mentoring. But, but Titus chapter 2, listen to what he says. But as you speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. He says, older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, not enslaved, too much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage, notice this, young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers, home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. So, so, so now we have the older men doing the same to the young men. And then he says, in all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say. Paul tells Titus, he says, you need both older men and older women in the congregation who are taking younger men and younger women in the congregation and caring for them spiritually. 
Beloved, can I encourage you this morning to find someone? I, I forget the age thing. Just can I encourage you this morning that if you have been in the faith for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, hear, hear me. If you've been in the faith long enough and you are and you have some sense of maturity within your faith. You may not know all the doctrines. You may not know all the teachings and stuff. But you're faithful. You come every Sunday. You go to Sunday school every Sunday. You have a good marriage. It ain't a perfect marriage. You have a good marriage. You know the gospel. You, you just you have a grip on the basics of the Christian walk. Can I encourage you this morning to follow in the example of the Apostle Paul? And grab someone and walk with them and care for them. To, to, to walk with them and care for them in all of these aspects of life. That you may help them mature and grow in the faith. Or how about this one? Find someone who's struggling. Because nine times out of ten, this is what we do. We look at someone who's struggling. We look at someone who's got some kind of issue and they're struggling in life. Whether it's a financial issue, whether it's an issue at work, or whether they're just sick. And they tell us, they say, this is what I'm dealing with. And we go, I'll pray for you. And we walk away. And you may pray for them. And, and praise God that you do. But there's an opportunity there for you to walk with them through their struggles to help them find joy in their struggles, to help, them find, to help them learn lessons within their struggles, to help them learn how to grow in their struggles. Find a friend that you will read who's not reading the Bible and say to them, say, look, I don't know much, but I know how to read. And I do read my Bible every day, or I, I, I read it consistently, and so therefore I want to read the Bible with you. Let me read with you. Let me walk with you. Whether we do it over the phone or whether we do it in person, let, let us connect on a daily basis and walk through the scriptures together. Or, or, or be like the Apostle Paul here who, who looks out upon the congregation and he sees, he sees those that, that are doing something wrong. There's, there's some type of sin issue. There's a temptation. We're going to get into all that very specific in just a moment. But just in general, you see something that is wrong and you look at that and you go, well, who am I to judge, right? I'm not supposed to judge them. And yet Paul was sitting there going, no. You take them and you, you lovingly go to them and you begin to work with them. Oh, beloved, we are in need of men and women within the church who are willing to step up and be spiritual fathers and mothers. Not perfect, but just willing to walk with somebody through these things that they may grow in maturity <clears throat> and you say brother brian where am i going to find someone because i know ten, nine times out of ten that's the first thing that we do is well who am i going to get because there's this there's this understanding that everybody here is perfect and nobody has problems amen i mean every one of you who just went well yeah that's i don't need any help <laughs> we're going to get to you in a moment all right but there's this idea that we, that, that we think that, there's, that, that if I'm going to do this, I've got to go find someone who's out there. And yet, I can give you two places that you can look this morning to find someone that you can work with, someone that you can walk with. Number one, the family tree. L look at your family tree. 
There are kids and grandkids. There are nieces and nephews. There are brothers and sisters. There are cousins. There's aunts and uncles. There's maybe moms and dads. But there are people within our family who are not faithful unto Christ. If they even know Christ. And you have an opportunity. No matter their age, no matter what, to look at them and begin to lovingly begin to build a relationship with them. Not just a physical relationship. Not just where you can sit at a table, eat, and talk. No, no. A spiritual relationship where you are praying for them and you are leading them to spiritual salvation or spiritual maturity. Look to your own family tree, beloved. And you say, well, Brother Brian, my kids or my grandkids are grown. Hear me this. There is never a moment where someone is too old or too young for us to begin to evangelize and to disciple. But there is another place, beloved, that you can look. You can look at the church role. Because what you will find is that when you look in the church role, there are many names of people that you have not seen in a long time. There are names of individuals that that we have not seen. And we wonder where they are. We may see them at Walmart. We may see them doing other things. We may see them out and about. But beloved, they are in need of someone who is willing to go to them and lovingly walk with them in their faith. To bring them back to the church. Or help them in their maturity. Or help them with a sin issue, a temptation issue, or a struggling issue. So look to the church role. Find someone who doesn't attend who's not attending faithfully at all, and begin to, to call upon them. I, I'm not saying that you, the very first conversation has to be that, but you can begin to build that relationship where you're beginning to know them and understand them and begin leading them in maturity. Or find someone that in the, that's on the church roll that you do see a couple times a month or two or three times a month. Find someone that, that, that you can get with and begin to walk with and share the gospel, understand the gospel, that you may have an opportunity to model and encourage faithfulness. And so there are those who may not come, but two times a month, but you come every Sunday and you are being faithful. You have an opportunity to what? To teach them faithfulness to the worship, faithfulness to the reading of the scriptures, faithfulness in whatever avenue. Or... You can look out upon this very congregation this morning, beloved. And you can find someone who is faithful to the church. Who may be younger or older. But normally younger. Who is in need of learning to be how to evangelize. How to study their Bible. How to be a good Christian spouse, father, mother. How to be how to be someone who knows how to work and bring honor to God with their hands EPC the question is often raised where are all the young people where are all the young people why, why are they not coming to church because my mom and dad brought me to church where, where are all the young people let me just say this children don't just magically appear in life there's a process, there's, there's a method by which children are brought into this world. And beloved, there is a method and a process by which children are brought spiritually into the faith family and into the church. Children need fathers and mothers. And so if we're going to ask the question of where are all the young people, then we need to look to ourselves and ask the question, what children am I mentoring? What young man, what young woman 
am I helping to develop in their spiritual walk? Because this place will not be filled with, with young Christians, beloved, if we are not out, you know, making Christians. If we're not out about evangelizing and discipling and bringing them into the church. Every one of us in here this morning, beloved, must accept the responsibility that we are to make disciples. But the tray has been telling us over and over and over again, disciples make disciples. So like a parent who cares for a child, beloved, it is our job to spiritually begin to care for individuals that we may have a healthy, vibrant, and growing church. Now, with that said, Paul also here within the text gives us characteristics of spiritual fathers. And I want you to see this. There are five. There's actually six here, but due to time, I'm just going to do five this morning. There are five characteristics here of, of the spiritual fatherness that Paul has, all right? So, so let's begin. Notice first that Paul says, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish. So the first thing that we see this morning is that we are going to be a spiritual parent to someone. We must be willing to admonish people, but not shame them. So it's obvious that Paul has not gone easy on them, especially in this last chapter. Paul has been rather harsh with them, but his motives were not to shame them. His motives were not to humiliate them. His motives was not to, to, to beat them down. But instead, Paul was admonishing them. Maybe a better way of putting this is to, he was strongly warning and urging them to do right. He was warning them of what they were doing wrong and urging them to uh, what they needed to do right. He's pleading with them to, to recognize their folly and their sin and to repent of that and to live correctly. Shame is about tearing someone down, humiliating them. But admonishing is about building them up and bringing about change. So therefore, spiritual fathers warn those they are discipling. So, so you need to be ready and prepared for this, beloved. That what we need in the church today is men and women who are ready and willing to, to warn others. <coughs> to tell them when they're doing something that's sinful or something wrong. Listen, it's not about being better than the other. It's not about being judgmental. That's what we want to talk about. But what this is, is, is us encouraging people to stay away from sin and to, to progress in righteousness and do right. So we see here, spiritual fathers warn those they are discipling and encourage them to do right. Who are you encouraging, beloved? The word can be pleading with someone. Who are you pleading with? Is there, is there one in your life that you are pleading with that you are begging for them to come to church? You're begging for them to come and gather with the faith family. You're begging for them to stop... Stop committing the sin that you're doing. It's going to lead to destruction. Or, or someone who, who, who's not, maybe not in sin, who maybe is faithful, but they're not growing as they need to be. Maybe there's someone who, who could go a little further, you know, be a little deeper. And so you're pleading with them and you're encouraging them to do these things. And either way, what we find is, beloved, that if we are going to do this and we should do this, that each and every one of us must be prepared and ready to begin to encourage them along in their faith not to shame to admonish and to encourage to to warn of sin and begin to build them up but secondly notice that paul also says he loved them like children he says as my beloved children no matter how far they had fallen no matter how how much they had hurt the apostle paul because they had hurt him at the end of the day the apostle still loved them 
Isn't this how you are with your children? Your children hurt you. They say things to you. You know, they do something that great, that it disappoints you gravely. And so you immediately kick them out of the house. Amen. Right? No, you don't kick them out of the house. You, even for those of us who, you know, those who have adult children who have, who have went away like the prodigal son, right? And we're waiting for their return at the end of the day. We, we haven't, we haven't abandoned them. We still love them. They're our children. We have a responsibility to them. We care for them. And so we see here that within the church, beloved, the Apostle Paul says, you are my beloved children. The word my indicating an ownership and a fellowship with them that no matter what has happened, Paul has not thrown them away. The word beloved is the word agapo, which refers to the strongest kind of love, the deepest love. It is a determined love, a willful love. In other words, Paul is deeply committed to them. Are they an easy project? No. Are they easy to father? No. But the Apostle Paul has not given up. He loves them. You are my children. Beloved, this is the love of Christians. This is the love of of, of a growing and healthy congregation of men and women in the church who love one another, deeply committed to one another, that we may not agree on everything, that, that we might mess up, and we might do things that hurt one another and, and, and say things that hurt one another. But at the end of the day, we do not walk away from one another. We do not divorce ourselves or, or forsake our children. We do not forsake our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And what's happened is, is I think many times within the church is instead of this type of thing, we got, we got people, men and women, who leave the church because they didn't get their way. There's another word for that in the, in the parenting world. The, the, those types of people that they, you know, they, they don't get their way and so they take their, they take their toys and they go home and play, play somewhere else or whatever. We, we have other words for that. It's called being a brat. And, and it really seems that that's what we have in the church is that we have a lot of that in the church because you hurt my feelings or something didn't go my way rather than this fatherly and motherly love that says that though you hurt me and though you broke my heart, I will not forsake you. I am with you to the end of this no matter how hard the road may be. And so what we are in need of is laymen and laywomen who are willing to love one another deeply, to commit to, to commit to one another, even if it is a hard project. Even if, even if the sanctification for that individual is going to be hard. Even if it's going to mean that you're going to have to be up late some nights on the phone and talking, or late some nights and praying. You're not giving up on this person. You're caring for someone. You're walking with them. You're encouraging them. You're serving them. Why? Because they are your beloved. I don't know if you've noticed this. But that word beloved is used a lot in this pulpit by not only me, but Brother Trey. And there's a reason for that. It's because as your pastors, we are deeply and utterly committed to you. Even if it's hard. And we want you to be the same with us. And we want you to be the same with one another. That we are deeply and utterly committed to one another. 
like a family. Like a family. But thirdly, Paul not only, not only says that, is that we see here that Paul also says that he, he taught them consistently. He taught them consistently. Notice what Paul says. Then Paul says, Timothy, notice he says, verse 17, he says, For this reason I have sent to you, Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ Jesus as I teach everywhere in every church. And so Paul says, Timothy will remind you of my ways. Spiritual fathers are called to teach for some, it may be in a pulpit or it may be like a pastor or elder. But for others, it may be in a Sunday school class, a Sunday school setting. But, but for the most, it will be one-on-one. You, you are called, beloved, to teach one another. The word teach means to instruct. It means to, to give guidance to one another. Instruct according to what? According to your opinions? No, but according to the word of God, you are giving guidance on how to act and behave in day-to-day living. And some of you may be saying, well, I'm not a teacher, Brother Brian. I don't have the ability to teach as others have. Please understand, that is not a good statement to say. Hebrews chapter 5, 12, listen to this. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk, not solid food. By the way, that's a, that's a verse of admonishment. The, the writer of the Hebrews was, was looking to the people and what he was saying to them was, was that you people have not matured in the faith and so therefore you need to begin teaching others. You, you, need, to be, you need to be eating the steak. You don't need to be eating the steak. You need to be cooking the steak and giving the steak to others. But instead, you are in need of someone to teach you. Repent. Repent. It's not a good thing, beloved, that when the church doesn't have healthy, strong men and women, spiritual fathers and mothers in the church, who are able to teach others. That, that's not a good thing. That's a sad thing. So, beloved, for, for us we, to go our whole life and not be able to instruct others in God's Word, even the most basic principles, is a sad commentary. It, it's something that deserves our repentance. Why? Disciples make other disciples. How? By instructing them in the word of God. So so there's teaching from the pulpit. There's teaching in the Sunday school class. But there's also teaching around the table. There's also teaching at work. There's also teaching when you're fishing. There's also teaching when you're buying groceries. There's also teaching when you're driving in the car. There are opportunities for you to take someone else in this church and to be able to bring them alongside of you. Take them grocery shopping. Take them to fishing, whatever the case may be, but you bring them with you. And while you're driving, while you're fishing, whatever you're doing, you are encouraging them, you are instructing them in the Word of God. What do we teach? Let's start with the gospel. Let's start with the gospel that Jesus Christ came and gave his life for us. Let's start with the gospel. Let's let's begin in Genesis chapter 1. That God created all things. And that he created you and he created me. And we were good and and well. But Adam, the humanity itself was good and well. But when Adam sinned, it it all broke. 
and we're all born into sin, and we all choose sin. And by that, because of our sins, we are destined to fall under the wrath and the judgment of God in need of a Savior. But God, in His great love for us, sent a Son, sent Himself, God in the flesh, who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross, who rose from the grave. And by that, you can be saved. Oh, beloved, if you've never heard that gospel this morning, that is the gospel, and that is your salvation this morning, that you would believe in Christ, in Christ alone. That is the hope of your sanctification this morning, that the gospel would begin to to be a seed that would grow and begin to flourish within you and grow you. Begin with the gospel. And then you can begin to teach other basic principles. Teach them how to pray. Teach them how to study their Bible. Teach them how to evangelize. Whatever the case may be, beloved, we are called to teach one another. But there is one that I miss, and I apologize for this, and so I want to back up. I apologize to Larry and him. I told him wrong earlier. Paul gives assistance, but, but there was one that I missed, and it was Paul sets an example. And I know I told you wrong, Larry, and I apologize. Paul sets an example. So if the PowerPoint's messed up, oh, it's good. All right, good. Paul sets an example. Notice what he says. He says, I exhort you, be imitators of me. In other words, follow my example. So not only is Paul teaching, not only is Paul loving, not only is Paul admonishing, Paul also is saying, you need to be imitators of me. Now, this seems very arrogant, doesn't it? For us to walk up to somebody and say, hey, you need to be like me. All right, you need to be like me. But that's, that's not what this is. The, Paul is saying you need to imitate, not just be like me, but, 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 but I'm imitating Christ. So, so it's really we're imitating Christ The Bible never says, beloved, that we are not to be examples for one another. In fact, it says the opposite. There's this idea that that, that you are not to judge one another and tell people that they're wrong and all that. Yet the Bible says that once you remove the plank from your own eye, if you go and read this there on Sermon on the Mount, if you remove the plank from your own eye, you deal with your own sins, then guess what? You are now free to help your brother deal with their sin. So Paul has already applied these truths to him. Remember, he said it earlier, several verses ago. He says, I've applied this to me in Apollos. So you need to apply this to yourself. You need to be like me. You need to be like Apollos. You need to follow us. Follow our example. FPC, we need godly men and godly women in the church setting the examples for others, especially the younger generation. This doesn't mean that you have it all figured out. And so hear me, let me free you up this morning, because there are some of you in here this morning, this is what you think. You think that because you sinned in this area, whatever the area, it could be marriage, it could be, it could be with, with alcohol, whatever the sin may be, but you sin and you fell, but you're just like, man, if not for the grace of God, amen? If not for the grace of God, I wouldn't be here. But I have no right to help anybody. I have no right to say, follow me. Beloved, this does not mean that you are to be perfect and that you are not to fail. This does not mean that your past failures should stop you from, be, from, from being an example to others, from stop you from helping other Christians. This does not disqualify you from being an example of a believer. In fact, may I say to you this morning, beloved, you may be the best kind of example. Because in your failure and in your sin, Somewhere along in there, you repented of your sins. And somewhere in the midst of that, God's grace was good to you and was far sufficient for you. And that's what we need to see. 
I needed to learn, beloved, how to repent. As a young man, I needed to know how to repent. I needed to know. I needed to know how to walk in God's grace and not in God and not, and not in the shame of my sin. I, I needed to know, beloved men. Let me tell you this: this, this is not a macho thing. We're, we're, we don't see this. Much. I needed to learn how to pray for my wife, pray over my wife, because it just didn't seem very macho to me. And so it took a long time for me to figure this out. Men, I, I, we need people who have who have fallen, who have sinned. And who have, who are examples of God's grace to reconcile and restore their lives to be examples for all of us. So set the example of how God's grace was sufficient for you. We're not calling upon you to be perfect. We're calling for you to be imitators of the grace of God in your life that others may see it. Do it within the marriages. Do it within how you parent. Show and be an example in how you deal with temptations. Show how you, be an example on on your Bible study habits and your prayer techniques and your faithfulness to church. How you love your children and how you love your wife. Show an example in all of these things, beloved, because we're not getting it anywhere else. We are having generation after generation after generation of young men and young women who have no examples. Where are they to find that example? Right here. Right here in this church. We are to set the example of the grace of God in our lives. And then finally, beloved, discipline. Discipline as needed. This is a hard one, but listen to what Paul says. He says, verse 18, he says, Now some have become arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you. If the Lord wills, and I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but the, their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. What do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and with a spirit of gentleness? This final characteristic, love is discipline, church discipline. Discipline is needed within the church. Don't check out on me on this, because you're about to get a whole chapter in the next couple of weeks on this. I know that you and I do not like confronting one another. If you do like confronting people, it may, you may have another problem. This is more than admonishing. This is more than warning somebody. This is more than encouraging and pleading with them. This is discipline. This is an action that is taken because they didn't listen and they continued in their sin. Now, I know that, again, this is hard. This is hard for us to accept within the church it's, hard, it's a hard part of covenanting together and walking with, enough, with one another. But here's the thing. Beloved, if the Bible portrays the local church as a faith family, why in the world would we think that God does not want the faith family to mimic the real family, the physical family? Fathers discipline their children. They, they, they discipline their children with the thing. And it is an act of love. We don't see it as any other thing. No one looks at a father, especially someone who, who has any kind of sense whatsoever, looks at a father or a mother who disciplines their child for doing wrong and says, that father and that mother hate their children. No, we understand that when a father corrects and disciplines their child, it is out of love. That's what the Bible says. The the Bible tells us of a father's discipline. He says, for those whom God loves, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, he says, for those whom God, the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for the discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. 
For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they have disciplined us for a short time and seem best to them. But he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by, by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So here we find that God himself says that discipline is a good thing. It is a good thing. So a father disciplines his child because he loves his child, not because he hates him. And so in the same way, we are in need of fathers and mothers within the church who are willing to discipline those they love. Who are willing to to say, I have warned you. I have told you. I have encouraged you. I have pleaded with you. I I have loved you. I have imitated for you. I've provided resources and assistance for you. But you have continued in your arrogance. And so therefore, we must take action on this. And you say, how how is that good? We're going to see this in chapter 5. But it is an act of love and it is a method that God uses to strengthen the Christian And we must embrace the fact that discipline is needed. That if a Christian took it upon themselves to admonish and correct one another, beloved, can I just say this real quickly? If if you yourself would take it upon yourself to deal with the sin in the church that you see yourself, again, again, there's an issue of patience, there's an issue of grace, we ought to be careful, there's a thin line here. But if we would admonish sin... In its earliest stages, it would never be known by the rest of the congregation. Beloved, we are always waiting and allowing sin to have reign in those that we love. And God is calling us, like Paul here, that we must confront sin. Sin in the form of deceit, sin in the form of a lack of faithfulness, sin in the form of pride and arrogance, sin in the form of sexual immorality, sin in the form of meanness, and so much more. Paul is saying that a spiritual father and a spiritual mother must confront and discipline the sin and those that they love. And we're going to look at this. But for now, this one may seem like the opposite of the very previous characteristics, but it is not. In fact, discipline, if done correctly... It becomes a mighty blessing to that person and to that church. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14, without guidance, a people will fall, but many with counselors, there is deliverance. I've heard stories of pastors and stuff of, of, of who, who churches did discipline and those individuals would go on but, you know, to continue in their sin, but years later would come in repentance and be brought back into the faith family. We do this with our physical children. We do this also with our spiritual ones as well. And so in closing, beloved, I leave you with this this morning. That President Ronald Reagan said this. He said, all great change in America begins at the dinner table. I love that. All great change in America begins at the dinner table. So first and foremost, we understand that what he's talking about here is that fathers and mothers and children sit at the dinner table and there they correspond with one another, they talk, they teach, they train, they, they pray together, they have family worship. The dinner table is probably the greatest place, beloved, to father anyone. 
But beloved, may I say to you this morning, I believe this also includes for us spiritual children as well. Spiritual brothers and sisters as well. That FBC, that if we are going to complain about the country and about the direction that it is going, we're going to complain about sin, we're going to complain about the problems within the church, and if we really want change, and we really want to see a difference, we want to see the gospel go forth, beloved, there is a place that is far greater than any other place where you and I can begin to change the trajectory of these things, and it is in our homes where we begin to take men and women under our arms and bring them into our homes that we may instruct them and imitate to them that we may begin to love them and warn them and encourage them and yes at even times discipline of them of their of sin that they may begin to grow in their faith in Christ so bring people into your home bring them to your table if you want to know how to do this beloved how am I going to father and mother someone within the church how am I going to take someone else? open up your home and cook a meal and bring them in and just begin to have conversations and begin to love them because right there you will begin to build a relationship in which you are pouring in and caring for those individuals so prayerfully consider this morning who and how you could begin to father and mother others how you can begin to care for the spiritual care over others and walk with them. Repent this morning if you've neglected this very duty. And then I would even repeat Charles Spurgeon this morning, train where he says, train up a child in the way that he should go. He also says, but be sure that you go that way yourself. The beloved that you and I must examine our own lives so that we can be an example to others. And then finally, beloved, open your doors. Let them come into your life. Start out small, but bring other believers into your home or non-believers and begin to love them by the love of Christ. Let's pray.